to the Train Your Mind podcast. I'm Vanessa Forrester, and I teach athletes how to up-level their performance without buying that next fancy bike, training more, or even racing more. Your next breakthrough performance is closer than you think. Are you ready to train your mind like you train your body? Stick around, and I'll teach you how. And we're back with part two of covering Danny and his Tahoe Rim Triathlon. If you missed part one, make sure to go back and listen. Danny and I recorded this second part a few days after we arrived back in Bozeman, and we are bringing you in, taking you through the whole adventure so that you can understand what it was like for him as the one completing it and for me on the support side. And to kick things off, I asked him to recap how it went overall before we deep dive into what he struggled with physically and mentally and how he navigated it all. So for those of you who are just now hearing uh, what the Tahoe Rim Triathlon uh, was or may not have followed Vanessa's Instagram stories during the event, um, we had to call it early. Uh, I got through the swim and about a day and a half into the bike and then the air quality got real poor. Uh, some smoke from the Dixie fire over in California came our way. The winds shifted and blew all the smoke right into the Tahoe basin. And, uh, due to the air quality being well above, kind of the safety threshold that I had set prior to the event, um, we had to, had to pull the plug. And by well above, we mean it was like AQI of 250 when he rolled in off the bike for the like next stage of when he was going to sleep. So it was really high. And um, what I think is really interesting about this is we all love a hero's story and we always want the hero to win and, and of course, I think the people that were following and people that are listening to this wanted you to accomplish what you set out to do. But there's so much to learn from when things don't go as planned and how we handle that, because I think we can all um, appreciate that part of the story and we can all relate to some, in some way or another, even if it's not, you know, the 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 size or the the what you chose to do swimming 21 miles and doing this this large event, we can all relate in some way or another. So that's why um, I'm really excited to deep dive into the mental side of what you had to uh, like overcome along this journey from the swim into the part of the bike that you, that you were able to accomplish. So um, that's a general recap. Now let's take it back to the swim and let's talk about really how you handled the swim you know, mentally and physically and how that, how that informed how you were able to handle it physically. Because I know having been on the boat, having watched you swim 21.3 miles and, and you didn't really talk that much, (laughs) but I could tell that it wasn't easy for you. I could tell that there were times where you wanted to quit. I could tell that it was a struggle. And I want you to take us back there to those times where you wanted to quit and what, kept you going, how you navigated those low points, knowing that you were literally in the middle of a giant lake in the middle of the night. (laughs) Yeah. Um, 
yeah, the swim was definitely going into this event. The swim was the most daunting of the three for me. Um, and we talked about that in the first episode. Yeah. Um, and it, it, uh, lived up to its, uh, to all of its, um, glory. <laughs> it, it was very challenging. There were numerous times where I definitely wanted to quit and was really uncomfortable in pain. I was extremely cold, uh, despite wearing a wetsuit. Um, and so I think really what ended up happening was I was, I was shocked mm. by how hard it was. And like you knew it was going to be hard, but you didn't really know. Right. Right. Like I knew, I knew it was going to be hard. I knew it was going to be challenging, but part of me thought that through my experience of some ultra distance things that it would just be another version of mm. something that I've been able to handle before and it would feel familiar in a way. Mm. You were so wrong about that. I was so wrong. <laughs> I was so wrong. Um, yeah. So I would say the big, the big things that I struggled with was obviously physical pain. Um, my shoulder, my left shoulder particularly and my wrists uh, for some reason were really, um, uh, painful and uncomfortable about four hours into the swim. I started getting really cold and four hours into a 13 hour swim, just for reference. Yeah. That was, that was the first time he told me that he was cold. And I actually, I actually want to share about this cause I think it's interesting. Um, we were at a feed cause Danny, Danny stopped to take in nutrition every 30 minutes and he said to me, I'm getting cold. And uh, immediately I was like, problem solved. Okay, what can we do? What's, what's available to us? And we both had thought there was a microwave on the boat. And we didn't bring thermoses because we anticipated the 68 to 70 degree water being warm enough. And he practiced in colder here in Montana. And uh, so we, the FAQ, the swim website, we're like, oh, there's a microwave. I can warm up some water. Danny starts swimming again. And I'm planning to have warm water, hot water for him at the next feed. Come to find out there was no microwave <laughs> on the boat. And if he wanted anything hot, we had to bring thermoses. And so, so my, that whole time in between feeds, all I was thinking about was what can I offer Danny? Like, what can I give him that's going to help move him forward and not have him so like distraught and stuck on being cold? So for me, I was like, I am not going to use the C word. I'm not going to even say it. I'm just going to offer him something that's more useful and kind of like help him think about something else. Because I, I know from my own experience being cold swimming or even on the bike, like if I get cold and it's what I'm thinking about, it's very difficult to take my mind off of that. So at that next feed, I just, I didn't give you hot water, but I gave you other things to think about. Don't know if it worked, <laughs> but that was like my, I felt like that was my job as your, as your support in that time was, okay, we got a lot of hours to go and we can't just be thinking about being cold the whole time. Yeah. I figured when I didn't get a warm bottle <laughs> that uh, something was up, that, that, that just wasn't an option. Um, but you didn't even ask about it. I was impressed with that. Because there was no point in 
I knew the answer. There was no point in then confirming. Yeah, I didn't want to say there's no microwave. I didn't even want to. Yeah, you made you knew. Yeah. So, and, and you know, I want to give credit where credit's due to all the other swimmers who do these big uh, marathon swims as per like the marathon swimming guidelines. Yeah. Um, skin they swim. do it in a skin swim, meaning you're just in a swimsuit and a cap and goggles so and impressive. you have to just deal with the cold. Now I chose to go in a wetsuit because I was going to bike and run afterwards and I wasn't going for any official, you know, swim time or record or anything like that. So I didn't really care, um, about doing it in a wetsuit and even with the wetsuit, I was bloody cold and, uh, sleeveless wetsuit. Yeah. Just for if anybody cares. And so that was, that was a constant presence. Mm-hmm. You know, there would be times where I could tune it out a little more and then times where I was just, you know, my teeth were chattering and I couldn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't really focus on anything, but how cold I was. And, um, yeah. So like I said, I think the, my mental, um, mood or mental strength came in waves. Mm. I would have moments where I was in a good spot and I would just keep trucking and I would count my strokes or count my kicks or how many times can I pee, uh, to, to try and warm myself up, uh, per hour, you know? Um, so whatever I could do to kind of take my, myself away from, uh, thinking about the discomfort I was in and then really, you know, just breaking it down into, okay, I got to get to the next feed. Mm -hmm. It's 30 minutes. So just swim, swim for 30 minutes, get to the next one, regroup, swim for another 30 minutes Mm -hmm. and repeat until I got to the end. And that was the only way that I could segment this unknown distance because we're swimming through the middle of the night. So it's not like I could see mm-hmm. where I was going. Did um, you like that? Was that helpful or did you, did it make it harder? Um, I think I liked it because you're in darkness and you're really sighting off the boat anyway. So mm-hmm. even when it got light, I didn't really pick my head up at all. Mm-hmm. I just sighted on the boat and just, just thought, they'll flag me down if they need to tell me something or if I need to turn to shore or something like that. So it was just kind of keep doing what I was doing as long as I could. What was the lowest point for you on the swim? Um, I probably had two low points, two lowest points, <laughs> <laughs> equally low. Equally low. Um, the first one was when you told me that I was halfway. And I had the best of intentions <laughs> for, really for, for context. I told Vanessa that I wanted to know when I was halfway and when I was three quarters of the way, um, just to kind of break the distances down. And I was trying to do silly mental math while exercising, which we all know doesn't really work. <laughs> so I was kind of trying to estimate how far along I was and just based on the number of feeds and my estimate of how long I'd been swimming and I thought she just forgot. So when she finally told me that I made it halfway, I was freezing cold. 
I was in a lot of discomfort. And when she told me that, I just thought, I don't have another one of those in me. Mm. I don't know if I can if I can sustain this level of discomfort for another, you know, same distance, you know, for another double that six and a half, you know, however long I had been going at that point. So that was really hard. And, you know, what, what I wanted to be this like joyful moment Mm -hmm. of like, Oh yeah, made it halfway to hit me like a ton of bricks and and I think you could tell oh, yeah. from my facial Definitely. expression and my There was no celebration happening. Yeah. It was just like oh shit. Yeah. I have a lot longer to go. But you couldn't have been thinking that for the rest of the swim. So how long did it take you I had I had to a kind of get out of that I had a thirty minute pity party. <laughs> to the next so, feed. So the next feed um I just was kind of, you know, wrestling with myself and saying like, okay, this is going to take a whole lot longer than you thought. This is going to be a whole lot more painful than you thought. Um, you know, what can you do? What, what can I control in this Mm -hmm. moment? And that's when I really started focusing on just get to the next feed, Mm -hmm. next feed. And at that point, after that 30 minutes, um, I actually kind of got into a good mental space for a little bit. I feel like it was at the next feed after like post pity party feed when you were like, I'm in a good place mentally. I don't need to know time until we're an hour out. Right. Like you had really taken kind of taken charge or maybe it was you had the pity party and then the next feed or whatever. It was very soon after Right. you had taken charge, realized like this is not going to be this is going to make the rest of the swim a lot harder if I stay in this place or I might actually quit. Like if I stay. Yeah. I think I, I think here. I was just able to find a, find a groove. Yeah. And, and just like settle yes, in. That's right. Because I remember you looked like I could tell your stroke got so smooth after that. Yeah. I just knew I was like, okay, I'm going to be here a while. <laughs> <laughs> might as well just settle in. Yeah. Settle in. And so I think that's, that's when I kind of got into a good mental space was I just, maybe I released some of that anxiousness mm. and fear and just said, okay, I'm going to take it as it comes and settle. Yeah. You're almost like more accepting of it versus like being resistant right, to right. it. I think accepting is a good, good term for that. Okay, so you said there were two times. That was one. And then the second time was um, I had mentioned that I only wanted to know when I was an hour out. But somebody... I have the best of intentions again. <laughs> was trying to buoy my my spirits mm-hmm. and told me that I had 5K to go, which... I said, you just have a normal weekday swim left. That's what I said. And then you asked, how long is that? Right. I was like, 5K. Yeah. So a normal weekday swim of 5K is that. It's, yeah. it's a normal swim. It's totally fine. Knock it out. Um, but in that moment, I was like, I immediately, despite my best intentions, went into math mode and was like, I'm going very slow and this is going to take a while. And so I don't know if I have two hours in me. And that was another mental gut punch um, where I was like, I, I am already at the very 
limit mm. of what I feel like I'm capable of doing in the swim. And I now have to swim for another two hours. I have to be at this limit for another two hours. And so, uh, that was, that was hard. And at that point I just, again, just went back to the 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 30 minutes, and just broke it down and just tried to get from one to the next. And each one was, you know, not comfortable. And I would stop at each feed and try and stretch my back or whatever it was. But, um, yeah, that was the the second bit, but I knew that I was so close that if I could just shed a few tears in my goggles and, uh, keep going that the, that the beach would soon be, would soon be there. Did you actually ever truly consider quitting on the swim? No, not really. There were definitely points where I wanted to quit and I felt like quitting, but I knew one, how on earth was I going to tell you (laughs) that I was going to pull the plug? Um, and there was a bit of, I want to say pressure that I had a bunch of friends who'd come out to pace me. And if I, you know, pulled the plug that early, um, that, you know, they would have been all for naught, you know, was that like a a good pressure? Like a, yeah, I think it was, it was motivating. It was like, okay, well I want to make I'm willing to handle. I'm this willing, comfort. exactly, I'm to exactly. It's oh, not to the. I'm not in danger. I'm yeah. not, you know, um, to the point where I really need to pull the plug. Um, it was just kind of that. My brain just saying, "Hey, this doesn't feel very good. You should, you should probably stop." Um, but I have a friend, a friend who has a phrase that it never always gets worse. <laughs> And so when it you're never always gets worse, that's so good. So when you're in the middle of something and it's really painful and you know, you're in a lot of discomfort or you're really cold or you're hungry or whatever it is, it never always gets worse. At some point you're going to bottom better. out. And if you stick with it long enough, mm. you'll come out of it. Mm. You know, think about those, those times you know, in a race that you hit a low patch Mm -hmm. or you're fall behind on your nutrition and you're kind of bonk a little bit. Well, if you stick with it and you get some calories in you, well, Mm -hmm. then you can come out of that hole. Mm -hmm. And so that's just something that I kind of thought as well was, okay, it's, it, it can't indefinitely get worse. (laughs) I love that thought because as soon as, because eventually you'll hit the shore, which you did. Yes. And as soon as you hit the shore, that means you don't have to do this silly swim anymore and you can get on a bike, which sounds way more fun at this point. (laughs) Okay. One more question on the swim before we move on to the bike, because I think it's really like the part about the swim that really fascinates me the most is I don't think that there is anything in your training that really pointed to you being able to swim this distance. Now, that's not to say that you didn't train, right? Like you, you had to, had to balance and, and train three sports at a high level, like volume wise, but to swim 21 miles, not having grown up as a swimmer and not really done, like you didn't, the longest swim you did before this was three hours. Yeah. Yeah. 
three hours. And most people, when they set goals or decide to take something on, they're like, I need to know I can do it beforehand or I won't have the confidence to follow through. I won't be able to navigate those low points. So nothing in your training, you, you didn't really have that to fall back on when it came to the swim. So how are you able to not like use that against yourself or like latch on to that when you got cold, when I told you you were halfway or the 5k to go, or, you know, all those super low points, did that ever come up? Did you ever think about that? Um, I definitely thought maybe I should have tried a shorter distance. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the width instead of the length. Yeah, maybe I should have tried the width first. Um, no, not in that, not in that regard. Not like I've never done anything close to this and I didn't like hold it against myself. Mm. You know, you and I have talked about how you, you don't have to have, you know, our brains are always looking for past experience to prove that we can do yep. whatever it is we're trying to do. And that's not necessarily the case that you don't have to have that, um, validation Mm -hmm. to complete something. And, you know, it's not a requirement to be able to have swam 21 miles before to prove to myself that I can swim 21 miles. And in the discussions with my coach through our, through our training, we knew that of the three disciplines, swim, bike, run, that the bike and particularly the run we're going to be the most, that's where I was going to spend the most time. That's where the largest amount of, you know, physical breakdown was going to happen. And so we knew that the swim was going to be a struggle. It would, my training would look totally different if I was doing just the swim. Right. Right. You know, and because I was juggling the other three or the other two disciplines and knowing that the bike would take me two days and the run would take me three plus days our time was better spent. My training time and my volume was better spent on the bike and on, on foot. And so we hit some, some big sessions on the swim, but I never did the type of volume or practice swims that would have, you know, maybe given me that confidence or had that little, um, you know, experience to draw back upon. It was kind of, we, we kind of settled upon like, you're just going to have to grit this one out a little bit. And I think that that, that exactly leans on what I talk about. And I know we've talked about in my coaching, the difference between confidence and self-confidence, like confidence is always attached to something external outside of you, that past training, that those past results. Whereas what you did where you, you relied on your internal abilities, your mental capacity and what you know about yourself to navigate those low points. So, so good. Okay. Swim check done. It was amazing to watch you walk on that beach. I have to say I was so proud. So still proud, still in awe. 21.3 miles is so far, but let's move on to the bike bike bike. You had the total bike was around 180 to 190 miles. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. And you got to 130 before you called it. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. I think it was around 130 when I did my math. So give us like a rundown of 
kind of how they, how that went for you. Yeah. Um, real quick, the transition from the swim to the bike was a little slow. I dealt with mm. a bunch of, um, upset stomach, nausea. Um, I couldn't really get any food down. And so I ended up taking a longer time through transition. I took a little nap, um, trying to settle my stomach before I got on the bike and so, warm up and warm up. <laughs> Don't forget that and part. so once I did get on the bike, um, I had maybe about an hour and a half to where I had to climb from the lake up to where the, the road intersected the trail. And that also wasn't, you know, my stomach was still pretty sensitive at that point. And I was finally able to get some food in. And basically once that food hit my stomach and like settled it, I felt fantastic. Mm -hmm. I was having a f so much fun. Um, I was hooping and hollering. We were, you know, ripping down some fun descents and uh, legs felt good. I pretty much immediately shut out the swim. I, you know, I, I definitely had, my shoulders were sore. My wrists were really, uh, uh, uncomfortable. Your body was reminding you. But. Yeah. I had little reminders, but like my legs felt fantastic. My back had loosened up. I mm -hmm. just had so much energy and I was so excited to be on the bike that I really, I felt so good. And so we, hammered the bike for the first, uh, two, three sections mm -hmm. and got into the first night ride. That was a tough section, uh, going up and over heavenly and then getting our way down to where I had planned my first sleep, mm -hmm. uh, was at uh, big meadow. And so you had been going, uh, since eight thirty PM on Tuesday to 5 a.m. 5 a.m. Thursday before you sl like you slept an hour after the swim. Right. But so between 8.30 p.m. Tuesday, 5.30 a.m. Thursday, you'd only slept an hour. Right. And you're planning to sleep three hours. Right. Then. So I slept three hours, woke up, felt really good, got some food in me and hit the trail again on the bike and was moving pretty good mm -hmm. and got through the next two sections and then had another road section um, where I was going to begin my um, detour around the Desolation Wilderness. And because uh, bikes aren't allowed through wilderness area. So hit this road going up to kind of my last aid station before I was gone for uh, the biggest chunk mm -hmm. of time without aid was about 33 miles so got up this road and I started to feel a little um, shortness of breath and like my heart rate was capped. Mm. And um, at the time, I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to it. I just figured, well, I've been going a long time. My body's going to be talking to me a little bit here and I just got to keep my head down and keep going. So finally got to that last aid. My pacer and I were taken off for this big section around the desolation wilderness. And um, the, the trail was supposed to be, in my research, uh, dirt roads and Jeep roads. Mm -hmm. And my definition of a, of a Jeep road uh, is like an unmaintained like forest service road, something that 
is a little bumpy, maybe has some big rocks or something like that in there, mm-hmm. some ruts. Um, what did you discover as the Tahoe <laughs> definition of a Jeep road? The Tahoe definition of a Jeep road turns out uh, you guys might YouTube the Rubicon Trail. Um, this is a you world... You definitely should. Get the visual. <laughs> this is a world famous uh, like rock crawling road where people with super souped up Jeeps with modified suspension and giant tires come and, and rock crawl over this, this road. And it was completely unrideable. I mean, just, we essentially hike a bike for many, 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 many hours. 50 K you said, right? Distance wise. Just about 50 K 50 K of hike a bike. We had a few sections where we got off that road and connected with a single track or a, or an actual forest service road, but they were very short in the grand scheme of things. And, uh, so how were you handling that as you were going? Cause that's a big, a big change that you weren't aware of. Plus I'm assuming your sleep de- deprivation was also kind of settling in right then too. Yeah. Yeah. So this being my first multi-day event of any kind, everything was new. Mm. I was really surprised at how well cognitively I was keeping things together. You know, I did start having some hallucinations towards the end of this, this section, but for the most part, I was riding pretty strong. I was choosing good lines. Um, I wasn't super sloppy. Um, the, the biggest thing was kind of feeling that, that like, cap or, or governor on my, on my heart rate. And when the trail or road turned into unrideable terrain and we were pushing our bikes for the majority of this time, uh, I had to just adjust. I had to adapt my expectation for what I was doing the pace that I was hoping to hold, how fast I was anticipating finishing Mm. this section and also adapting to this like progressive, you know, um, restricted heart rate that was happening to me and just realizing, okay, I can only push so far and I just got to keep it within that limit. And yeah, I think just kind of adapting the plan as you go along, as you're presented with new information or new trail. Mm. And, you know, my pacer and I were talking throughout this whole thing as we initially thought, okay, this section would take us eight hours. And yeah, then, that's what, that's what I was expecting. Eight hours. We thought it was going to take eight hours. And Danny's in communication with me over his Garmin in reach. And then with updates. we get going and it took us like four hours to do 10 miles. We were like, okay, so it's going to be like 12 hours. And uh, at that point, we started rationing food a little bit, uh, knowing that we'd be out another four hours longer. And again, just adapting with the situation. Okay, we're going to be out longer. Let's ration food a little bit. Let's make sure we have our layers. Let's make sure, you know, we're taking the right directions as best we can and maximizing what rideable terrain we did Mm -hmm, get. mm -hmm. And then 
as the terrain continued to worsen and my breathing continued to become more and more difficult. Which was likely because you were getting more and more sleep deprived. Exactly. Exactly. So essentially my body was trying to protect itself Mm -hmm. and saying, Hey, you idiot. Uh, You haven't haven't slept in a while and you keep trying to exercise. We're just going to turn your ability to exercise down. Because you were going to sleep after the section. That was the plan. Exactly. If it had taken seven and a half to eight hours. The plan was to sleep right after this section. Mm -hmm. And so while we were on this section and and time looks like it was going to, you know, be extended, Robert and I, my pacer Robert and I started making plans of like, okay, I definitely need to get more sleep. Um, whenever we get done with this section, I'm going to take a bigger sleep than was planned and see how that changes my heart rate and my breathing ability. And we continued to hit rough terrain and about two in the morning, maybe three, all of a sudden Robert and I could smell like a really strong campfire smell. Mm -hmm. And we looked up with our headlamps and we looked up into the sky and you could see ash just falling. Mm -hmm. And we were like, Oh no. Um, we thought maybe there was a fire close by. Um, we didn't really know cause we had no real communication other than just, you know, texting through the inReach. And, um, it was just shock because we had had such good weather right. the previous two days. It rolled in so fast. It was, it was blue skies and sunshine and it was fantastic. I mean, 12 hours earlier, I was remarking and, you know, counting our blessings as to how good the weather was and how good the air quality was. And at three in the morning, when that smoke rolled in, I could just tell that it wasn't good. And slowly, as the light illuminated more and the sun started to come up, which it never really got bright because it was blotted by all the smoke, um, we could tell it was super, super thick and it was really not good. And as the smoke became thicker and thicker, my breathing got worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And... um, the goal at that point was just get to the end of the section and then sleep and, you know, check and see what's going on with the air quality. And so... So that was your plan. Uh, let me tell the plan from camp was we needed you to sleep where you were. So I was in communication with one of uh, Matt, one of Danny's run pacers who was on his way to Tahoe that day, who's also a doctor. And I was sharing the information I was getting from Danny about his heart rate, about how he was feeling, about his shortness of breath and such. And it was like, we need to get him to sleep. Like he, he will feel significantly better. His body is like, this is what happens when you're sleep deprived and we need to get him to sleep before he even gets back to camp. Cause we don't even know how long it's going to take. So at 8am I sent a little rescue mission essentially uh, Rob, one of the other bike pacers, sent him to you with a sleeping bag and 2,000 extra calories and a strong, strong, strong message that we need you to sleep on, like on the side of the trail, which you did. Yeah. So Rob shows up with a sleeping bag and some extra calories. And Robert and I hadn't eaten in several hours because we were out of food. Um, so took a nap 
on the side of the trail, got some calories in me and we eventually rallied and went the last maybe three, three and a half miles to the, to the trailhead, uh, to where I was meeting you and the crew. Mm -hmm. And, um, upon reaching that, you know, it was midday, it was noon at that point. Yeah. It took you all 19 hours. Yeah. So that section that we thought was going to take about eight hours between the combination of terrible terrain and, you know, suppressed heart rate and breathing, uh, it took us 19, 19 hours. And so, um, we finally got there and we could just tell that the smoke was, was really bad and, I think you said the current AQI was probably 250 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, when we got up that morning, like when it rolled in, it got to 180 so fast. And then by the time you got back, got into camp at 1230, it was 250. 250. Yeah. So at that point, um, I had made prior kind of qualifications as to what was a safe air quality index to continue this event in. And I didn't want to, you know, no event, no sporting event is worth potentially putting yourself or my friends, all my pacers, um, at risk. Yeah. And so, uh, that, that threshold was 150. And when the AQI was up well, well above, you know, 200, um, we knew that we had to pause and our first plan was pause for the night and hopefully in the morning have a shift in wind and maybe the air quality dropped down below 150 that I could try and get started again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the immediate plan. So I took a sleep. We ended up going back to our Airbnb, trying to regroup and make a plan for the next day. And, um, the plan was at 6am, I would wake up, we'd take a look at the weather and make an official decision one way or the other as to whether we could continue. And yeah, so let's talk about that decision. Was it easy or hard? Um, I mean, in the morning we woke up and the air quality was still 250 plus and it didn't look like there was going to be any improvement over the next possibly two to three days. And so at that point, the decision was very easy. Like there, there, there was no way that we could continue the event and continue exercising and pushing ourselves in that bad of air. Right. And so from a safety standpoint, that was a, a super easy call. Um, it was not, there was no gray area. Right. <laughs> it's very black and white, but the emotional reality that, uh, was a little harder just knowing that unfortunately, you know, due to the air quality, uh, we had to stop. And that was a two and a half year project of, planning and researching and training and all the things that just came to an end, but not 
under my control, mm. which is kind of a good thing that it wasn't something, you know, it was, it was not in my control. It wasn't because I quit mentally or I physically broke down or I crashed on the bike or something like that. You know, it wasn't me choosing to take the easy way out and quit. Mm -hmm. It was something that was completely out of my control and ultimately a safety issue. And so I feel like that, that made, made things a little easier. Um, but there is definitely still a big, a big part of me that wishes I could have continued, uh, had the opportunity to continue because once I got sleep, all of a sudden my breathing was returned normal and mm -hmm. my heart rate could go back up again. And it was just, you know, I feel like I could have weathered that, that storm and that obstacle just by getting more sleep and just, again, adjusting and adapting right. my, my plan and my timeline to where I still could have completed the whole event the way I wanted to. Um, but yeah, just had to pull the plug. Yeah. I think it, it also lends back to what we talked about in the first episode when we part one about the, the power behind having a plan, but being able to adapt to it and being flexible with it and having the same goal in mind throughout. And then sometimes the adapting to the plan means that you just have to call it and make the best choice for you in the moment, you and the crew and knowing that that is of course the right, the right choice. Yeah. I remember in the first episode, we talked about there was a real chance, a real possibility that mm -hmm. I wouldn't complete this. Which was a fuel for you. Right. You wanted that chance. In my brain, though, when I said that, I was thinking of it primarily from a physical standpoint. Mm. Like there's a chance where I physically can't complete this or I physically will break down or maybe mentally, you know, mm -hmm. I crack and I'm not able to weather a, a particular storm. Um, I know that in the weeks leading up to pushing off that the air quality was, was an issue and we, I was really worried about it and feverishly checking, you know, <laughs> uh, websites all day, every day. Um, but by the time we started, I really felt like, you we know, in the clear. that we were in the clear. Literally and figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I didn't think that the, the reason that we would call it was for air quality. And so that was, again, I wanted to challenge myself with something that I thought I might not be able to do. But I kind of thought it was going to be on my own terms mm. as to whether that was a a success or a failure. Right. Okay. Let's talk learnings. Let's wrap this up with some learnings for uh, you and like how that applies to others that are taking on their own challenge of sorts. Yeah. I think one thing very specific to me was obviously my body gave me some very, um, some very clear signals as to how it handles sleep deprivation and, <laughs> and, uh, lots of exercise. So I probably went about 55 hours where with about 
four, mm-hmm. four and a half hours mm-hmm. of sleep. And until that point, I felt pretty good cognitively. And the heart rate started to come in a little bit, but cognitively I felt really good. I didn't get the sleep monsters or anything like that. After that, that's when obviously the suppressed heart rate and I started getting a little sleepy. That's where I really started to to struggle. And now having been through that, having experienced that, I can, listen. I can see very clearly, <laughs> man, those are some really big, you know, flags of, hey, you need to change something that you're doing mm-hmm. because my body was responding differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, so now I kind of know what to look for and maybe strategies and how to prevent that kind of suppressed heart rate um, in the future. And maybe it's something that gets better with time, but I definitely know that, hey, I have some physiological signals that I can listen to mm-hmm. to let me know how I'm actually handling what I'm the load. imposing. Yeah, yeah. The, the load that I'm imposing on my body. It's not just, is my motivation there and am I sleepy? There are other things to kind of look at. And so that was a big thing for me objectively um, that I will take into future events and future, um, projects. Um, it's a good one. I think a big thing mentally was, and I don't know how well I did this. I'd like to think I did a really good job. Uh, I'll be the judge. I'm sure. I'm sure. (laughs) I'm sure I had moments where I wasn't, um, as strong in this category, But I think something that's really important during a big event like this or or any challenge is to stay neutral Mm -hmm. with what's going on. So when my heart rate started becoming suppressed and the terrain was really tough, I didn't turn it into a negative like, oh, the the trail gods are against me or yeah. uh, I'm not fit enough. Why is my heart not doing what I, you know, what I want it to do. And I just kind of tried to keep a pretty neutral approach to it and just say, okay, here's what I'm presented. Yes. What can I do in this moment to affect it in any way? And then do that until I have to, Make another choice. Yeah. Yeah, And make a new plan and adapt. And so. So good. Yeah. I think I definitely did fairly well with that. I'm sure there were moments where I struggled a bit, but I think overall maintaining a pretty neutral approach to obstacles thrown in your way. Again, you just don't plan for. Right. And we all learn from that for sure. In race atmospheres and in training and anything that we come across. And I think the last thing would be, despite how this turned out, you know, not completing it the way I wanted to, mm-hmm. um, having to, having to stop because of the, the air quality, um, I can still be really proud of my effort mm. and I can be really proud of what I accomplished. I did the hardest thing I've ever done before. I mm-hmm. swam across the lake. Oh um, yeah, you did. And 
you know, up until that point, I felt really good on the bike and my nutrition was on point and my crew was amazing. And, you know, there are so many positives from this experience Mm. that just because something that was out of my control affected the ultimate outcome, it doesn't mean that the entire event was a failure or that it was a waste of time or a waste of energy or money or whatever. Yes. You know, I feel like it was a, again, something that I can be proud of, something that I can lean upon in the future and also a really fun and great experience to share with you and all of my pacers and the random, (laughs) the random people or dot watchers that sent messages or a random guy who followed my, dot across the lake and met me at the beach showed up at the finish (laughs) yeah when i finished and said congratulations to me and and yeah so i think it was a a overall a great experience and i don't want to cheapen that because i wasn't able to finish it in the way i wanted to Mm -hmm. because there's more to it than just that finish there's way more just one chapter in the book of danny that's right many more chapters to come i love it Okay, the one thing that everyone is wanting to know. You ready? Everyone. The whole world. Everyone submitted questions. Okay. And this is the number one question. Are you going to go back and do it again to finish? Um, that is yet to be determined. Are you going to swim that again? I really need some time. Okay. <laughs> okay. I would like I to think... point out that... I asked this question a couple days ago and it was like a hell no. So things have changed. Things have changed people. We'll see. Not anytime soon. I hope somebody uh, calls me up and asks for all the, all the beta to go do it themselves. And I would love to help someone else do it. Hmm. Um, Cause I think this is a really cool route. And I think it's obviously very doable. Um, but I think I'm going to need a couple years <laughs> to, to recover before, before <laughs> I, I consider making a comeback or, or attempting it again. I'm not going to say no, mm. but it's also not a burning passion at the moment. Okay. We'll leave it there. Okay. Thank you for taking us through this incredible journey and what you got out of it. And uh, that's it. Yeah. Thanks to everyone who followed along and sent messages. And um, yeah, your well wishes and support was very much appreciated. Hey, it's me again. If you want more juicy tips on how to train your mind, hop on my email list. The link is in the show notes. As soon as you join, I'll send you the 10 triathlon truths your tri-coach hasn't told you. And then I'll drop in your inbox weekly with new tips that will change the way you train and race. See you there.